The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian's Jewish podcast. Sounds Jewish and this week it also tastes Jewish. In this month's podcast, are you in or you out? The admissions policy of London's largest Jewish secondary school is under fire. How might the court ruling affect the way we view ourselves as Jews? And is it ever acceptable to shout, you'd army, at a football match? A Jewish Spurs fan confesses. I took my kids to the League Cup final and there we all were and we're all chanting, you'd army, you'd army. My kids look up and say, Dad, what are we doing? What, What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And I say, don't worry about it, son, just get on with it. And as the Passover season approaches, the things you can do with a dry piece of matzah. We make it in all different ways. We fry it with egg. We um, make matzah sandwiches with sort of uh, layers of mashed potato, layers of minced meat. We do make it rather exciting. Oh, so exciting. I'm salivating already. With me in the studio is the Times columnist and comment editor Daniel Finkelstein, winner of the Chaim Bermant Journalism Prize, presumably not for the most Jewish surname in journalism. Daniel, a very prestigious prize. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I think that they felt I wrote in the style of Chaim Bermant, uh, the great Jewish chronicle columnist, and anybody who uh, is a Jewish columnist would be would be glad to be associated with him, so I was very pleased to win it. And he's joined by Jay Rayner, the Observer's restaurant critic, feature writer and author of a couple of books, including The Man Who Ate the World, In Search of the Perfect Dinner. Uh, that's out already, Jay? Uh, just about. It's uh, edging its way into the to the bookshelf. Into the top, the top selling list. The highest list. echelons of the, the best-selling, best-seller list, I'm sure. Uh, briefly, it's you going around the world eating. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the big and the small of it. Uh, I... I Wanted to investigate the new breed of luxury restaurants that have grown up since the, sort of the beginning of the millennium with the spread of capital into private hands. Mm-hmm. More rich people, more restaurants for them to spend their money in, um, and I wanted to find out if they were any good. Really what I also wanted to do was find cities that you could access another story through their restaurants. So it's not just me sitting on my arse eating. Obviously it's a lot of that. But it's also, you know, Moscow's about the end of communism, the rise of the mafia and, and, and so forth. Uh, it does seem to me that going out to eat is a particularly Jewish pastime. I don't know if I'm being blinkered, but uh, friends of mine were out for, for dinner the other week in, in Scots of Mayfair, which is a shellfish restaurant <laughs> actually, and they all they could hear was they were surrounded by Jews. Uh, obviously uh, Jews, the not particularly observant ones, um, do do go out to eat quite a lot. The observant ones also go out to eat, but only at the same three restaurants. <laughs> and they circulate round them. Woody Allen in his film tries to rescue his father and take him back, uh, back to, uh, to to heaven from hell. And he says, "I don't want to go to hell." He said, "Where do you want to go, Dad?" He said, "A Chinese restaurant." <laughs> and I think that is the authentic Jewish view of heaven and hell. Very much so, and such small portions as well. We should add. Uh, we'll come back to your book, uh, Jay, and we'll come back to eating as well because all things do uh, a bit later in the program. But for now, the High Court in London has been hearing an extremely unusual case. It centres on a child barred from JFS, Jewish Free School, Britain's largest and oldest Jewish secondary school, on the grounds that the mother had converted to Judaism under the wrong sort of rabbi. She was converted by a conservative rabbi, less strict than the traditional orthodox approach. Now, the child's father is Jewish and the family leads an active Jewish life, but the child was still refused admission to the school because the admission rules state the key thing is the Jewishness of the mother. She either has to have been born Jewish, according to orthodox standards, or had to be converted by one of their rabbis. If she can tick those boxes, then it doesn't matter how religiously observant she or her kids are, they're in. You still with us? Good. 
because such was the outrage of the family, who we're not allowed to name, unfortunately, that they decided to sue the school and are currently challenging its admissions policy in court. Another family in a similar situation are backing the case. They told one newspaper last month, fundamentally, it's running a racist admissions policy. You could eat bacon every day and have no problem, but a religiously practising Jew can't attend. Daniel, surely it is racist to say that kids can come into a faith school based on not how much faith they've got, but whether they've got the right blood in their veins. Well, my sons go to a Jewish school and I had a, a similar process to go through. I had to prove uh, that my son was Jewish to the satisfaction of the uh, chief rabbi's office. And I found the process offensive, actually. I thought that the inquiries, which went on quite a long time because my parents, well, I was married in a reform synagogue. My parents were, uh, my wife's parents were married in a reform synagogue and her grandmother, who was now deceased, um, uh, had uh, left only Czechoslovakian documents, uh, so it was hard to establish. Um, the process went on for a long time, and I felt I was under scrutiny, and I wondered who on earth would pretend to be called Finkelstein and want to send their child to an Orthodox Jewish school if they weren't Jewish. And do you feel that uh, that your, your, your sons are in there because of their ethnicity now or because of their faith? Are they Jewish enough now? Well... I would certainly regard us as Jewish enough. Um, I wouldn't tick very many of the boxes of the United Synagogue on, on ideological or practising grounds, and they wouldn't tick many of my boxes in return. Uh, but uh, so uh, if I had to go through an ideological test, we wouldn't succeed on that basis either. Uh, I think the problem here is that no flexibility is being shown, no desire to try to be as inclusive as possible. And this has brought this legal problem onto the community's head. I mean, I, I found that when I saw this court case, I, I, there was as cringe as one often does when one sees Jews in any headlines, you cringe, you think, oh, this is publicity we could do without, frankly. I, I actually thought this was a, a, an embarrassment to the community uh, to have such headlines. Jay, do, where, where do you sit on, on seeing Jews in the news? Uh, I, uh, well, I don't particularly have an issue with seeing Jews in the news. I do have an issue over this. I, my line is a curse on all their houses. I'm a devout secularist. I don't understand why anybody wants to send their kids, with all due respect, Danny, to a faith school. Um, it seems to me establishmentarianism. It's a way of forcing religion and faith, whichever way you wish to describe it, into the heart of the way daily life is conducted. Um, I'm, I know of myself, I went to a, a, a non-denominational school. Well, it was officially, I suppose, it, it was C of E. It was a public school. Oh, it was Haberdasher's Asks. Let's speak name, out, it. name it out to the constituency. It's entirely possible you know, to exist in life without going to a faith school. And and the the whole notion on both sides just drives me nuts. Relieved though I am to have retained respect from you, uh, Jay, uh, for the choice that I made for my children. Um, the, there is a lot to be said for both religion and for religious schools. There's a lot to be said for the role of, uh, of faith in, in life. What I find difficult to understand is that having made that decision, um, parts of the community were so keen to prevent me from making it freely. And I think that does cause a question. The, the question that's being asked in court here is not um, whether or not it's reasonable to make these judgments at all, but that if you go beyond the point of reason and insist that the only test that uh, needs to be passed is to be having gone through an orthodox religious uh, um, birth, uh, then you are bringing on your head this sort of court action. Yeah, there are negative implications to the case, uh, Daniel, because uh, it, we could end up having faith tests uh, to be allowed into all sorts of institutions, Absolutely. like Jewish care, for example. The the truth is that the one of the consequences of this case could be to make Jewish faith education even narrower and make the community even more sectarian. 
personally, I find the sectarianism in the community baffling uh, and unacceptable. And um, I think that um, this is just another way in which that uh, is being brought out. So I really regret these people have been forced into this position, but I cannot say I'm unsympathetic with the case that they brought. When I first started going to football matches some 35 years ago, racist remarks were, unfortunately, fairly common in the stands. But since they kicked racism out of football campaign, they seem to have been fairly well stamped out across the land by football authorities. At least chants directed at black players have thankfully become less and less common, certainly in this country. Compare that, though, with the widespread use of Yiddos and Yid Army to refer to Spurs and Spurs fans, not to mention the taunts relating to the Holocaust, which you hear uh, certainly from Chelsea fans. You might think maybe that double standards then apply. Does it really matter, however? Steve has been a devoted Spurs fan all of his life. I was born uh, within striking distance of White Hart Lane and... There were a lot of Jews living in the area. There were a lot of Jews then in Tottenham, in Palmer's Green, in Edmonton. They were known then as the Whites. Come on, you Whites! Most recently, it's become the Yids. And the Yid Army is now what has become the sort of popular slang denomination for Spurs supporters. Now, I, I know it is kind of... Yeah, you could get uptight about it and you could say, yes, it's anti-Semitic. And as a Jew, as an observant Jew, if somebody came up to me and called me a Yid, I'd be really offended. But what can I say? I took my kids to the League Cup final. We hadn't been in the blooming confines of Wembley for centuries. And there we all were. I've got my kids aged eight 12 and 16 standing next to me and we're all chanting Yid Army, Yid Army my kids look up at me saying Dad what are we doing, what, what does that mean, I don't know what that means and I say don't worry about it son just get on with it, let's not make it into a huge insult let's take it into a big cheerful positive warts and all yeah you know the Jews, we are the Yid Army Presumably, uh, Daniel, you're a Chelsea fan, from what I know. Uh, um, you don't sing one man went to gas, went to gas, or you don't. No, and I think what Spurs fans are missing is what happens up the other end when they absorb this idea of being the Yid army. Um, I think that it's threatening, it's unpleasant, it's uh, racist, it isn't jocular, it uh, goes to the heart of um, Jewish issues, so the Holocaust is uh, brought in. It's completely unacceptable. Um, the reason why it isn't more common towards players on the pitch in the way that it was um, with uh, with the Jews and uh, with the, with black players, uh, where you know it was quite common for people to do things like throw an inflatable banana onto mm, the pitch or a real until until the time came uh, when that was put a stop to, is because there aren't that many Jewish players. But if they were, they would be subject to racial abuse. They are subject to racial abuse, actually, uh, those that exist, and it's something that we should take seriously and do something about. I've never experienced um, mass anti-Semitism of the kind that I experienced watching Spurs play Chelsea, but my Jewish friends who were up the other end were completely unaware of it, uh, because as far as they're concerned, it's a jovial title. Uh, you're so talking I'm, coming from the Chelsea fans of which you were yes, part towards it's not, the Spurs. It, yes, and it's not... Uh, this is not a Chelsea issue. Uh, Chelsea's just one club. It ha you know, the, I have friends who won't go to Arsenal when they play Spurs... Mm for this precisely because they find uh, the, the racist chanting against Spurs unacceptable. Uh, it should never be the case that a Jew would find it uncomfortable to go to a football match because he's worried about racism. And so 
I think this is something we should take seriously. I don't think it's a joke. I think the football authorities need to act on it seriously. And I think that Jewish Spurs fans need to reflect on whether this is an altogether sensible idea. It's a bit like a bullied child sort of uh, accepting and playing part in the joke uh, being played on them by the bully. This this is a racist tag uh, accompanied with very nasty racist rhetoric that has become an acceptable part of football parlance. And in my view, that has to stop. Jay, you slightly shake your head at, uh, at all of this. Is it because, Again, is it because it's a madness? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all a madness. I don't have the football gene. It's one of those things that actually does make me stand outside. Whenever a World Cup rolls around, I have to actually role-play. I have to kind of method myself into getting interested in football because otherwise I've got no one to talk to. It's a terrible, terrible <laughs> you thing. You get into a restaurant easy at World Cup. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. There are advantages. I, I would just agree with absolutely everything Danny says about it being unacceptable in the... Um, although, actually, I think football's unacceptable, but that's just... <laughs> but were you aware of this, uh, of, the, of the Spurs being called the year to... Yeah, I was, I was vaguely aware, but it was all just part of another... But another is that because you thought that all football fans were thugs? And Because this is, this is, yeah. this is one of the only kind of residing uh, incidents of racism that you hear chanted from English football territories. Is it really? Still, well, apart from... Why in, don't I... Do you Glasgow know the thing is, I don't uh, believe you. In Gla- in well, as you know, uh, it is uh, one of the things that the game has gone through through a process of trying to uh, push out racist chanting, and I think most people would think that they were under some threat of being uh, excluded from the stadium, mm. uh, which is a very easy thing to have happen to you, uh, from making by making a racist comment. They do not feel under the same threat if they call Tottenham Yids or sing a song about gas chambers. Well, they, they probably don't be- think they ought to. Because the Jewish fans are obviously conniving in that. The reason that people go to... Uh, to football and is for the sort of memories and the experience and it is a herd experience it's it's enjoyed with other people which is the reason why when you are part of the chelsea uh fans uh even though i'm uh try to be pretty rational about it and i don't t- I end up taking it incredibly seriously you are feeling as though you're part of a group and when that group turns against your religious identity, it's extremely uncomfortable. And so I think what Spurs fans are missing... You know, I was asked um, when I wrote wrote a column on this in the Jewish Chronicle, somebody there asked me, did you confront it? And, uh, you know, uh, some of the people around me were six foot three and 20 stone, and they weren't interested in (laughs) having a discussion about Plato. (laughs) So I thought what I'd do is write a column in the Jewish Chronicle about it rather than actually... That's the way to reach your target audience, isn't (laughs) it? Exactly. I felt that... No, but because actually... Actually, actually it was, because I think the place where this needs to start is is in two places. The first is I think the Jewish fans of Tottenham have got to come to a realisation of how it makes Jewish fans of other clubs feel when they play Spurs and how incredibly uncomfortable... feeling is and secondly it needs to reach the ears of the football authorities which it does if you put it in the press the football authorities need to understand that like any other form of racism this is something that's unacceptable and i will seek an opportunity to raise this issue with the football authorities very shortly Passover is not far off, and I don't know about you, but I'm quite looking forward to those tense family seders around my mum's table, the endless arguments over who's in charge, who's drinking the wine, which way are they leaning, how long before we can all eat, as well as all those tantrums. And I'm not just talking about my little baby cousins. No, we love it, really. But for those of us seeking a slightly more alternative event, how about heading down this month to Wilton's Music Hall in East London for the JCC's The Other Seder event. Josephine Burton, producer of the event takes up the story. The Seder is a fabulous ritual and a theatrical performance. My memories of it are actually that it was rather formulaic and quite dull. And 
I think that those, those memories are actually not just relating to the Manishtana Four Questions part, but also to the whole course of the Seder, which we would rush through reading bits from the book, bits in English and bits in Hebrew, and then eat, which I think is most people's experience of a Seder night. And I think that my personal experiences have inspired me to, to, have, to have a fresh look at what a Seder can do. I thought it would be really interesting to actually ask an artist to create something especially around that particular part of the Seder service. And I started to think about which would be the artists that I'd like to work with. Joshua Sofer is a performer and artist who creates pieces of work that explore participation and audience involvement and because it because the Seder itself is so participative and we're all in, encouraged, in fact, obliged to ask questions each year and I thought it would be quite interesting fodder for him to work with to create a new piece of work. My name is Joshua Safair and I'm going to be doing a Passover cabaret about the four questions and about the four sons in the Seder meal. There are four songs one for each of the sons, and each will be a backing track, uh, which will occasionally uh, be sung by one of the sons. So, for example, the Wicked Son is going to be Annie Lennox's Ballad Why. And the, the Wicked Son says, for example, uh, I may be mad, I may be blind, I may be viciously unkind. Viciously unkind so each of the characters will be performing one of these songs. Schechter is a very well-known artist and choreographer and actually also a musician who lives in London who was born in Israel and left Jerusalem about 10 years ago to move to London and the first thing that came to my mind was the plagues that I thought he would be really interested because he's got his work is full of energy and complicated issues and tension. Josephine approached me about this uh, idea of doing um, a short piece um, about one of the elements in the Haggadah and I thought that's quite an interesting idea, and, and especially because um, I, I've obviously experienced the Agadah a lot of times in my life as a kid, um, and it suddenly gives me a chance to, to have my take on it. The kind of dance that I'm doing is not a storytelling dance. I'm not, I'm not uh, going to tell a story, but I'm going to try to create an atmosphere and a feeling. I started to create a soundtrack for it. It's very, um, very, very basic sounds that sound like they come from the past somehow. Again, knowing that we deal with plagues and knowing that we deal with something horrible and invisible and uh, powerful and um, horrifying, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a really dark thing. So the evening itself goes on a bit of a journey. It starts quite quiet and builds up. And it echoes the themes of the Seder, celebration and destruction and sorrow and excitement. And I felt we needed to finish the evening with a big party, with a big kind of bang. Effectively, the meal, if we were really eating in our own, in the comfort of our own homes. And I've asked the destroyers, who are a 16-piece 
anarchic, self-described gypsy punk band from Birmingham who will come down and completely, I hope, blow the audience away. And you can get more details of the other Seder event from the Sounds Jewish webpage, www.guardian.co.uk slash podcasts. Jay, how do you fancy an alternative Seder? What were yours Seder nights like growing up around the family table? Did you have them? Yes, we did. Um, first of all, taken by my great uncle and at one point by my uncle, but never, as I seem to recall, by my father. Um, always slightly brooding because my mother uh, is to this day uh, like me a devout secularist um, and she could do it all she could do it from she knows all the bottom. words well no knew how to prepare the dishes oh, right, and the order and all the, and all, the, all the bits that needed to be done um, and I think she hated herself for knowing how to do it all, mm-hmm. actually. And she pretty much despised doing it, but still couldn't, stop, her, couldn't stop herself. Well, you know, when people talk to me about Judaism and food, I say it is intrinsically interconnected with catering. <clears throat> when we want to atone, we fast. Mm. Somebody dies, we have a shiver, and then the biscuits come out. It's all, food is is tied into every single ritual there is, pretty much, all the absence of food. It's all defined by that. And... Um, the Seder is, is sort of the ultimate, isn't it? Well, it's the, the, the different foods that one has and, and a denial of a certain kind of, uh, I suppose, luxury item in wheat or yeast. Daniel, family Seders, past and present, I presume. We'll bring your, your kids back into it because they must come back with tales of the, uh, of, of the unexpected from school, I presume. Yeah, I, I don't have the same um, ambivalent feelings about it. For me, it's a wonderful festival. I like its symbolism and I enjoy the practice of it. And usually it involves, um, you know, more than 20 people. It's been at my parents for many years, although now now it's usually at uh, one of my siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it's a wonderful occasion, although I do I do laugh sometimes I hear Jews criticising Christian evangelicals in the United States for their sort of odd views and practices. And I have to point out that every year we get round the ping-pong table and hold a piece of horseradish up in the air, and uh, we seem to think that isn't eccentric. So um, <laughs> the, it is obviously a, a, an event of a great of great eccentricity, but also... Uh, hugely enjoyable and it brings together I think some of the best parts of religion which is the use of symbolism to to tell stories yeah so I've graduated from the, your use of the ping pong table we have a card table which is the kids table down at the bottom which it, it still is although we haven't got as many kids about I've now graduated sort of up to the table but, but my, my father has stepped in you must be very in, proud I'm, I'm delighted with myself at some point the ritual of knocking over the glass of wine on the crack between the main table and the card table will get into the Haggadah definitely <laughs> because it's become a ritual that every family has uh, now of course I think the star of the Seder meal and the star of the eight days of Pesach should you be uh, observant at all is uh, matzah and I think that's the kind of the, one of the key symbols of, of Judaism my wife uh, doesn't mind a bit of matzah I have to say uh, the endless constipation I don't suppose particularly helps uh, but here's what some other people think of matzah Daddy what is it my child Daddy what's going on here why is everybody singing and how come the table is set with matzah instead of bread a week of eating matzah does do havoc with the indigestion, and I do have to say that, you know, it does get a bit much. But um, we do it, and we do it every year. For the first few days, we love the matzah, and we make it in all different ways. We fry it with egg, we um, make matzah sandwiches with sort of uh, layers of mashed potato. We, we absolutely run out of things to do with matzah. We get very, very sick of it, and also we find... 
eating the main meal of the day, endless potatoes, 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 potatoes. <laughs> and then we don't touch them for about a month afterwards. Um, and then matzo with cheese, of course, matzo with jam. Matzo, I don't even want to think about it. My husband introduced me to matzo bra, thinking it's the greatest thing on the face of the earth and it makes me want to puke. Layers of minced meat, we do make it rather exciting. It's a bit strange going to football on a Saturday afternoon and with the boys and trying to look tough and then undoing your tinfoil and taking out your matzo with your cheese. It's just not really cool. The last few days we, you know, we are a bit fed up of matzo and it does definitely affect the stomach. But yeah, we manage. <laughs> Well, short of construction work there, that's probably about everything you can do with matzah. Is yeah, it a fan, no. a fan of it? Forget a court case about JFS. Matzah, if somebody serves you matzah with mashed potato, that is a court case. That's definitely... <laughs> a crime against food. <laughs> that is definitely a crime. That is really awful. <laughs> I do like a bit of matzah, and I like matzah with egg. I like matzah with harris, but matzah with mashed potatoes. What were they thinking when they came up with that one? Uh, you, you've talked about your relationship uh with food in general being something Jewish. In fact, there, there is a, a Jewish association to events uh, with food. Uh, you, in fact, your, your book quotes that there's something to do with the, the comfort of eating, not just comfort food, but the comfort of the act of eating and dining together. Uh, is Jewish food ever destined for anything higher? No. It's the simple answer. Though people will continually, continually attempt to prove otherwise. Time and again, uh, uh, chefs, cooks turn up and say we're refining Jewish food and actually they're not. What they're doing is taking a bunch of ingredients and a few uh, dietary strictures as in no milk and meat mixed together uh, no shellfish, no pork um, and then applying them to a bunch of dishes which they think are high end. It doesn't work! There, there was a restaurant that opened and does a roaring trade with the with the kosher crowd called 613 um, in which the, you would not actually identify any of the dishes on the menu, particularly apart from, I think, there's uh, uh, some Kanegelich at one point or another, as being particularly Jewish. Yeah, you can have high-end kosher food, I'm sure, but it's not what we would regard as Ashkenazi cooking. <laughs> uh, I'm just getting some news hot off the Jewish press. That's 613 at the restaurant you mentioned has just closed down. Uh, that's a result of my mediocre review from six years ago. <laughs> yes, they're still smart. It, it deserves the appropriate silence. That's long enough. <laughs> uh, Dan, your favourite Jewish food? I think it has to be latkes. I did go to Selfridges once and was presented with this exotic uh, food in the food hall and I put it in my mouth, I thought it was delicious, and then the man goes, we call this a Vienna, sir. Uh, but I, And I thought the Vienna was deserving of that kind of respect, actually. So the latke is basically the victory of the deep fat fryer is takes yeah. you all the way. I mean, this is the reason why I write about things like uh, football and, uh, and and high politics rather than food. Um, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I just basically like the latke. And what are you going to do about oh, it? No, nothing at all. I mean, it, it has to be said that most of the, su the successes of Jewish food are down to things like the deep fat fryer. I yeah. am a person who believes that the chickpea... Uh, should be banished from all diets. The only good form of the chickpea is the falafel. That's correct. And, and the reason is the deep fat fry. Believe if you put Anne Widdicombe in the deep fat fry, she'd be palatable. It's it, that's all it is. Boil something in fat, and it will be fine, including the chickpea. Yeah. Um, it's true of gefilte fish. I love I'm a fish. You're right. Oh, boiled gefilte fish, phlegm on, a, phlegm on a plate should go straight from the pot to the bin as far as I'm concerned, but fried gefilte fish. Now, that's we're talking. A different yeah. The one with the little carrot bit on the top is just disgusting. Uh, just, ugh, uh, I mean, ugh. 
I know. Uh, but a fish boy, I can't... Uh, crane. I'm a big fan of crane as well. Yes. But, just because of the way I say it. Now, funnily enough, the, the combination of beetroot and horseradish just become a real p- propeller head does turn up in high-end food all the time. It's it's become a, a little signature that you'll see in two or three Michelin-star restaurants. And I suddenly sit there in these grand restaurants thinking, oh, it's like Mama used to open the pot for, because she never made it. <laughs> she went and bought the jar. But, you know, you're sitting in a three-star restaurant getting those little Jewish references. It's very Heston, where's the gefilte fish? <laughs> Heston would do that. Heston Blumenthal would certainly go for a bit of gefilte fish. I think I think we would all be a lot better if gefilte... Can we get catering on the gefilte fish front here at the Jewish podcast? Heston Blumenthal, oh my goodness. We're, I'm out of my depth here, but Luckers. <laughs> Luckers. It all comes back Just to Luckers. Just stick to Luckers, yes. OK. <laughs> That, unfortunately, is all we have time for in this month's Sounds and Tastes. Very Jewish indeed. Thanks to my guests, Daniel Finkelstein from The Times and Jay Rayner from The Observer. I've been Jason Solomon. Uh, This has been the Jewish podcast, Sounds Jewish, sponsored by the Jewish Community Centre for London. Goodbye. Shalom, shalom. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.